welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 63 and today's episode is all about sibling dynamics. Now the episode is actually, I'm sharing a live teach that I held in my How Not to Screw Up Your Kids membership. And we have a teach each month that looks at a specific topic, a specific area that parents are finding challenging. And this was recorded in a school holiday. And as we know, school holidays, we're all at home together and we're having this sort of intense time. Um, Our children are not kind of doing their own thing in quite the same way. And that can create, well, it can at least bring to the forefront a lot of the issues and the challenges around sibling dynamics. And this sort of teach that I did, which you will listen to shortly, very much focuses not only in terms of, you know, how do we actually deal with sibling challenges and and the rivalry that inevitably come up and the arguments and how as parents we can sometimes sort of be part of facilitating that or at least sort of encouraging it or keeping it there. What's really key that we have to kind of look at really at the top level before we even start actually looking at the day-to-day challenges is what does the sort of sort of sibling dynamics look within our home in terms of the roles that our children take on? You know, you have some roles where maybe you're the peacekeeper in your home, maybe you're seen as the troublemaker, maybe you're the emotional one, maybe you're this messy one or the unreliable one. And I think these roles play a huge sort of role in this concept of the roles that our children have and then how that plays out in terms of sibling dynamics and I know that I've done a previous podcast episode that has looked specifically how do we manage sibling challenges but this takes it to a whole different level so I hope you find it useful as ever if you enjoy this podcast I would love it if you could follow and review um, so that others can find us and we can spread the love so until next time enjoy listening to this particular teach that I gave and then enjoy the resources that are available as usual if you head over to the Dr Mary Han forward slash library you will find all of the resources not only to this podcast episode but all my previous podcast episodes which you can access for free all I ask is that you pop your email address in and we will then give you the login details so that you can access this week's resource and all of the resources across all the other podcast episodes. So until next time, enjoy. Hello and welcome. We're talking siblings. Um, we're going to talk about quite a few things to do with siblings. We're going to talk about how the sibling dynamic creates friction and how best to manage that as parents. But we're also going to be talking about how families and the dynamics around families create roles that can also impact sibling dynamics. So let's just talk about roles first, because I think this is quite an important piece around this notion that of within the family, there may be one child, there may be two, three, four, five. What happens is within the family, roles become created. Now, sometimes those roles are created because of explicit things that we say as parents. Sometimes those roles are created because of the dynamics and the situation that a child may find themselves in. And what I mean by role is things like the naughty one, the helpful one, the academic one, the emotional one, all of these sorts of things, these roles, uh, the helper, 
the peacemaker, the headstrong one, all of these things. And if you think back to your own childhood, you will have had some form of role within your family. So I'm one of three, I've spoken about this before. I was absolutely the peacemaker, the facilitator, the mini mummy, I think I probably was, the second mummy. That was me, middle child, not, no surprise really necessarily there. My sister, who was a couple of years younger than me, was pretty much the sort of the naughty, emotional, outspoken one. Now, whether these roles are true or not, they come from the way that we interact with our children. They come from the way that our children interact with each other. And my, I don't know what was my, my, I think my brother was probably seen as the sociable one. So these were some of the roles. And in lots of ways, when we create these roles, and as I say, they're inadvertent often, rather than necessarily things that are made um, specifically, that will have an impact on the dynamics around siblings. So if you have got a situation, I'm just using my family, just because it's easier to kind of explain that. If I've got the sort of the social one, the sociable one, my brother was was older, and he's seen a sociable and probably the most unreliable. What then happens is when you think about it from a sibling dynamic, you've got the one that's pretty much useless in terms of being relied upon. You've got a middle child who's then seen as the really helpful one. You've then got the youngest child who's then seen as the naughty, the mischievous, the emotional one. Now, those roles have been created. And so you can see how that then creates a whole layer of issues around siblings. So we have to understand when we're looking at sibling harmony, when we're looking at sibling dynamics, when we're looking at how do we manage sibling situations and the friction that happens between siblings, which is a normal, by the way, we have to understand the roles that have been created within our family. And this is not this kind of teach is not necessarily the form to be thinking about the rights and wrongs of these roles in lots of ways. If we're going to kind of really look deep into roles, we should be almost considering this and looking at how we manage this from the outset, from the moment our children are born, because we can't help. These roles just happen, and they're not just about what happens within the family. They'll happen outside when our children go to school and how they're viewed by their peers and how that then feeds into the role that they have at home. But when we're looking at sibling dynamics, when we're looking at how do we manage sibling dynamics, we have to understand, we have to almost do an audit of our family and say, right, in my family, regardless of how many children that you've got, and even if you've only got one child, when we're talking about siblings, there's still a dynamic there, because in essence, the issues around siblings is that you have got children competing for a finite resource, which is your time. And an only child can also be competing for a finite resource, which is also your time. So it isn't just about the sibling dynamics, the behavior that comes out, isn't just restricted to the way that siblings. So we have to start off with, let's look at the roles. And if you are listening to this because you have only got one child and thinking, or maybe even you've reluctantly listened to this um, because you're thinking it's not necessarily relevant, it absolutely is. What you just do is when you do the audit around the roles, you need to make sure that you're really factoring in who are the people that are significant within my child's life regularly where these roles might be might also be pe- um, having an impact and obviously your role as their parent will also have an impact so you need to start with let's do a fresh audit of the family let's look at parents if you're co-parenting together look at what your roles are are you as mum 
again, very stereotypical, but usually in my experience, this is what comes. Are you as mum the peacemaker? Are you the one that the children go to in terms of refereeing? Are you the one who resolves things, who asks questions, who does the emotional support? Is their father a different role? If not, then it might be reversed. But we have to understand our roles as parents and how our children see us, including what our children view as to favourite children. Yeah, that is a normal, normal thing for children to do, for, to, for them to think, because they are point scoring all of the time. They are looking at this kind of, this belief that with every interaction that you have, particularly when we start delving in deep in terms of this refereeing, for every moment that they feel that there you have taken a side that has not been theirs, that you then create this notion of favourite. So we have to start with this family audit. We have to look at it as a parent, as co-parents, whether you're co-parenting together or whether you're co-parenting living in separate homes, what are the roles that we play as far as our children see it? Remember, whenever we're talking about these sorts of things, it's always from the perception of the child. It's how do the children see this, not how do I think I am being as a parent? So how would my children see us as their parents and the roles that we play? And then look at the dynamics around the siblings. So you're then looking at each child how might they be viewed what are the what's the sort of language that you use what tends to happen do you have one child who is often in tears do you have one child who needs a lot of attention and a lot of time does one child tend to be more independent is one sociable is one less sociable all of these things feed into the roles that they believe that they have of themselves so that's our starting point once we've got that that we can then look at how do we manage siblings from a strategy perspective in the context of this background okay so now let's look at the actual day-to-day -day. and obviously when we're having periods of time with our children at home which is usually in the school holidays or when they're all too young to start school but generally speaking it's those periods of time where we are all together in school holidays whether that's the summer whether that's the easter christmas holidays half terms it's that kind of condensed intense time where there is generally no structure and that isn't me saying to you it's because there's no structure you need to go and organize structure it's not because children need to be able to be and not have structure but this is generally where things come in and and once certainly once our children start school they very rarely have this intense period of time together it really tends to be in those holidays so a lot of it is that kind of initial them finding their way so in those periods of time we have to remember this siblings argue it is normal, there is nothing wrong, that's a normal pattern of behaviour. They are vying for a finite resource, which is your time. So that's basically what's going, that's what's going to happen. And what will happen is if they, in order to get that time, they don't care how they get that time, whether that's with positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, whatever it takes to get your time and attention, they will do. So there is no rational reasoning behind why they may, might behave in a particular way. It's just they want to have that time with you. So it's recognising those bits within the context of roles. So if you've got roles within your family and you've got a child who sees themselves in a negative light compared to a sibling, yeah, maybe you've got the peacekeeper, the, the little mummy's little helper, daddy's little helper, 
the really placid, confident, sociable one, and then you've got one who struggles to manage their emotions maybe, or doesn't really like to play on their own, then that is obviously going to feed into the dynamic. It's gonna create these niggles and we need to be conscious of that. So as general rules of thumb, this is what I very, very strongly believe. As parents, we inadvertently get caught into the trap of refereeing arguments and disagreements with our children. And by doing so, we lay ourselves bare to taking sides. And this happens when we referee an argument. And I would say, as part of your audit, be really honest with yourself. How often do you get involved in arguments where you referee where you have not seen the incident? And I would hazard a guess that you're probably doing that 80 to 90% of the time, particularly as our children get older and we are doing things because we have to get things done and our children are playing or organising or sorting themselves out and we're just not with them the whole time. So we're just not able to see it. And that is where we fall into the trap around this notion of refereeing because what we're then relying on is the stories, and I say story deliberately, the stories that our children tell us with their version of events. And the reason why I say stories is not because our children are deliberately manipulative and devious little so-and-sos. It's because as human beings, we never, we're not able to accurately recall a situation as it actually was in that objective. If there was a camera on, what are the facts of what happens? When we recall something, when we go back and replay something, it's always with the hour slant. We interpret our experiences. When we talk about confidence and anxiety and managing emotions, it's all to do with how we see the situation. And this is exactly what happens when our children then recall and tell us about what's happened. So if we, there's been a sibling argument, and let's face it, it happens, begins to start with escalating voices. Then there's an inevitable scream, a sharp intake of breath, and then a child racing and running to us that's sobbing, that's trying to explain their side of the story before the other sibling then comes running along to explain theirs. And we get into this, what happened? The grieving, upset child tells us, and then the other child gives us another version. Who do we believe? So it's not about children being deliberately about deliberately lying, but when we don't see an incident, we cannot and should not, and I feel really, really strongly about this, we should not be looking to referee it. Now we know our children, we know which one is going to be the likely one that is maybe great with language. This is exactly the scenario that I have with my two children. My son is incredible with language. He knows exactly how to prod, poke and provoke purely with the words that he says, no touching, absolutely not, but can over a period of time with niggle, nick, 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 then my daughter, who is much more likely to be more volatile with her emotions, might then lash out physically. So ultimately, she's the one who's lashed out. So do, I, do we referee it on the basis that she's lashed out? Do we referee it on the basis that I know that he's probably been poking, poking, poking and saying things that has created that? You can't referee it. The minute I would referee that, it then appears, obviously, well, you're the one who got physical, well, then he's your favourite always. So it's just, we should not be doing that, even when we know the context behind what's happened. So that for me is an absolute, something that we shouldn't do. And what I feel that we should be doing instead is trying to prevent those things from escalating. And when they do escalate, 
giving both sets of children an opportunity to take a step back, to find some peace, to create that sense of rest and restore, and then we can potentially facilitate, mediate a conversation between the two of them about what happened and, and basically an apology. And it's not that we're trying to say what happened, we're asking them to talk to each other about it and helping them come to an agreement. My strong belief is instead of what we should be doing is looking at a couple of things. We need to understand the roles that our children play within the family and how that might impact the dynamic around what they need in terms of time. If we know that we've got a child who's very much seen as the needy one or the emotional one or the volatile one or the fidget or the mischievous, whatever that is, and we're then going through an extended period of time where the children are going to be together, we need to understand that that child is going to find it difficult for long periods of time with other siblings that might be doing and being good and doing all of the right things that that is going to likely to have an impact. So when we look at structuring the days, we need to be mindful of how much time they spend with each other and really sort of filling that cup of that particular child so that they're feeling better able to manage things themselves. So that's part of it. There's a background piece of work. And then the other thing that we need to be aware of is then what we're trying to do is we're trying to de-escalate situations before they become explosive. And I'll be honest with you, this is not an easy five minute fix. It takes a lot of your time. I'm not going to lie. It, it does take a lot of your time and it isn't something that you're able to just do and then still be getting on with other jobs. So part of that is also about setting your expectations about realistically, I am going to have scenarios where the children are going to monumentally and quite massively fall out. And do you know what? That's okay. Because I know once a week, I can be completely on it. And what's going to happen is over time, I'm chipping away at it and it will then get easier. We're never going to be in a scenario where our, where our children do not argue. It, genuinely, it's a real rarity. I've yet to meet a family where there is just there is simply no arguments. The arguments might be different in different families. Some might be physical, some might, might be verbal, some are sporadic, some are every single day. But there are very few families that coast through where siblings don't have these frictions. Just think about your own experiences and your own experiences with your own siblings as children and as also as adults. So we cannot expect, you know, we've got to get away from this myth, this fallacy that we can have these sort of families that are just all loving and wonderful and nobody name calls and everybody's really kind and considerate. We can have that a lot of the time, but it isn't going to happen all of the time because it's just not a natural part. The whole sibling friction thing is also a way for our children to practice negotiation, turn taking, using their voice, compromise. These are all skills that they're learning. So I think it's part of it is about helping us reframe how we see it so that we're then better able to manage our own expectations and what then happens if we can manage our own expectations we don't get sort of sort of caught in that trap of like oh my goodness me I can't believe my children don't get on and all I want you to do is love each other that's the kind of stuff that is about us and we should not be projecting onto our children we should not be saying to our children you should love your brother you should love your sister you should get on that you're all that you're going to have of each other when I'm gone and all of the all of this stuff 
that gets thrown at siblings. It's just rubbish. I'm really sorry. Ultimately, we want our children to be kind and compassionate with their siblings in the way that they would be kind and compassionate with another human being. But ultimately, if they don't like their sibling, just because they're siblings, they don't have to. It's not compulsory. It's not mandatory. It doesn't get stamped on their birth certificate. And the more we kind of peddle the whole, but you should love each other, the more unhelpful it is. It, it layers that pressure. It's ultimately, in this house, the values that we have are that we are kind and compassionate and considerate with other people. And that includes our siblings. The way that you treat your friends is also the way that you should be treating your brothers and sisters and the way that you should be treating your parents. It's that that I think is much more important. And then the sibling dynamics naturally become, um, we work through those, those aspects of the sibling dynamic. So we're gonna look at some specific strategies about that. The other thing I just want to say before I go into the strategies is that we need to lose this notion of equity. So let me talk to you, let me explain what I mean by this notion of equity. We often feel as parents that we need to spend the same amount of time with each child. Yeah, so I'm gonna give you half an hour of my time, you're gonna get half an hour of my time, you're gonna get half an hour of my time. And it's all about treating every child equally. I want you to shift your thinking away from equity to needs. Because when you think about it, when we have our children as tiny, tiny babies, they need a lot of our time. They can't feed themselves. We need to change nappies, can't take themselves to the toilet. We need to put them to bed. They take a huge amount of our time, certainly in those waking times, and then they go to sleep and, and, and obviously we have more time. As they change and evolve, the amount of time and their needs change when they start school, they need a lot of our time because they can't do homework independently. As they get older, they, can, they don't need us in terms of homework, but as they get older still, they become much more independent. Maybe they can get themselves to school, they can get a bus or they cycle or even older that they then drive. So they don't need us in that way, but they might need to talk through some bigger problems. So we need to shift away from equity and talk about needs. So when we have children that say, well, you don't spend enough time with me, you're always with Sophie or Jack or Alex. I think the language is not about, we like to make sure that you all have equal time and I'll make sure that you get your half an hour, but much more talking about need because then this, this removes the minute counting that our children get themselves into. Well, I've only had this number of minutes, they've had more than me, therefore you must love them more. It's much more to do with need. So it's reminding our children that actually, as parents, we need to spend time helping where each child might need it most. So right now, this sibling needs me more because they're having a particularly difficult time at school. This sibling needs me more because they're not independent enough to do their homework on their own. So it's being able to focus on need. Now that doesn't mean that you, we ignore the other children. And of course, you know that that's not what I mean, but we might find other ways. So it may be that we have a, six and a nine-year-old and the six-year-old can't do their homework independently the nine-year-old can so when they're sitting and they're doing their homework you're spending a lot of time with the six-year-old now it might then be that the nine-year-old being nine is that little bit more independent so that maybe they can go to bed 10 minutes 15 minutes later than their six-year-old sibling so what then happens is the six-year-old goes to bed but the nine-year-old might be able to stay downstairs for a little bit and then they then get 15 minutes worth of your time and then they go up so it's just thinking a little bit more creatively rather than focusing in on this notion that you've got to have the same. Instead, we can start looking at this notion of, all right, where's the need? How do I go about 
addressing that need and explaining to my children that that's that. So this is all the framework. These are all some of the strategies. What do we do in those moments that is, that I've warned you, is going to take time? So this is, we don't referee what we don't see, but what we do is we make sure that we're within earshot. So when we hear voices beginning to escalate, and you'll know what that means to your family. So we're talking about the things that are beginning to bubble. It's not there yet, but it's beginning to bubble. So what you do is you go into the room, wherever they are. I can hear voices are beginning to get raised. This doesn't sound like it's a happy thing, whatever that might be. It sounds like there's not a happy discussion around what you're playing, or it doesn't sound like a happy negotiation around what's your, what you're going to watch on television. And then simply say, I have every faith that you guys can sort this out and then remove. So you're just simply saying that the you, that I paid attention. I can see, I can hear, sorry, that the voices are beginning to escalate. So I'm just letting you know that. And then come away. Then if the voices continue to escalate, go in and then this time say, mm, I'm not getting happy. I'm not getting a great feeling that this is being sorted out. I'll tell you what we'll do. Why don't we just have a bit of a five minute break? I could really do with you helping me with this. And, and actually, would you mind going and doing that? So in some ways, you're not making this sorrow. Oh, my goodness, I cannot believe that you two cannot get on and choose a television programme. Or you just can't play nicely. Instead, just simply said, you know what? I'm just not feeling that this is getting sorted. Why don't we just have a five minute break? Can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And then you can come back together. So we're just trying to take the heat out of that immediate situation. And by doing that, it means that you can bring them, you've kind of diffused it. And what I think is really, what then becomes really interesting is if your children then say, well, look, why, you know, we were going to sort this out and just say, okay, it didn't sound like that was the case. Why don't we come together and then talk it through? And that's when you can have some of these family talks that I talk about, these family um, meetings. That I've noticed that, we seem to find it really, really difficult to choose a television programme without there being lots of arguments. Now, I don't know, not asking for who's done what, but from when I'm in the kitchen, all I can hear is that there's lots of arguments. How, now that we're all sat together, how do we think that we can make sure in future that these arguments don't happen? How can we make sure that we have some sort of routine or a way of going about watching the television that makes it fair for everybody? And then it becomes a discussion. What we're trying to do that way is give our children the skills to be able to have a discussion. It's much more of a mature discussion rather than this us firefighting and dealing with the issues in the moment. So it's making sure that we understand this notion of roles. We've got to do that first. It's the starting point, because if we don't understand the roles and how that fits in, whatever we do around siblings, we're always going to be feeding into that. And then it's just being aware. If we know that there's a bit of a dynamic going on, is there something that we need to do beyond the siblings to try and redress and rebalance that? Do we have a child who sees themselves as emotional or not as clever or the naughty one that actually needs a bit of time being supported to be able to manage that? Is that something that we need to be looking at? So you, know, you have to start there because if you don't start there, you see it just as a sibling issue but the sibling issue is fueled by these roles that they take on so we've got to understand the roles we've got to understand as parents where do we fit into that role so that's the first thing we've got to make sure that we stop this refereeing because we end up taking sides and then feeding into those roles 
and also being aware of any other things that we might do that might be feeding into those roles. So we need to look at that. And then we can start at looking what will be a time consuming situation, but then chipping away and intervening before it begins to escalate. And whilst it is incredibly time consuming at the beginning, it pays dividend because your children, you have to be consistent. Consistency is key. Do not start this if you're not going to be consistent. So agree a particular time you're going to start this because you know, and whether that needs, you know, if you're co-parenting and you're both living together, then it may be that you say, do you know what? We are going to do this. We're going to nail this. We're going to start this weekend. So we've got Saturday and Sunday to do it together. And then if you're then on your own or if you're then going into a, a few days off together, is making sure that you've got that consistency. But this is how we're going to manage it. And yes, it's going to be time consuming, but it will pay dividends because the reality is the amount of time that you spend refereeing and organize and sort of trying to sort out arguments afterwards is far more time consuming long term than investing the time now and being consistent in nipping it in the bud before it begins to escalate. So I hope that you have found that useful, but let me know if there are any questions. Enjoy. Enjoy.